It's good to see everyone. Christina's parents are here. We love you guys. We're so glad they're in the back. They're all the way here from Portland. Well, technically Vancouver, but you're here when it's nice out. That's what I'm excited about. <laughs> Um, so good to see you. Jody, you're here. It's so good to see everyone. Um, I'm going to get right into the Word because it's really, really a great message. It's changed my life, and so I'm going to share it with you this morning, but let's pray. Father, I thank you for this family, God, these that you've given us. You've put us together for a specific reason and a time. It's not even just regionally. There are those that come from way far west. And those that come from the south and the east, God, and you gather us together for a purpose and a reason. So, Father, we just commit that to you today, and we ask you to open our ears, open our hearts, let your word change our lives. And we bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the powerful worship, for the, the prayer time. It was awesome. Just good to be here. Um, if you don't know, we are in the middle of a series, kind of, it's kind of been bouncing all over the place, but that's okay. We're going to get through it. The seven churches of revelation. And this is the first time I've ever really taught on the seven churches of revelation. And I'm learning so much, you know, I've read it over and over again, but when you dive into the history of what was happening culturally and contextually, you begin to understand even more what the Bible was meaning, what the Bible was trying to say. And so it's been just so exciting to get to know a little bit more about each one of these churches. And I will say that I cannot believe how Holy Spirit is revealing himself. Remember, revelation is the revealing of Jesus. He's revealing himself in this present time with this word every time I open it up and look at another church. It's like, wait a minute, this is happening right now. And the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, because my word is alive. It's alive. And so it's just been so powerful. So thank you for um, taking this journey with me. And I'm excited to get into the church of Sardis. Are you ready? The church of Sardis. Now remember, John received this letter from the Holy Spirit. It was a message to the pastor or to the leader or to the angel of the church of Sardis. And John was exiled on the island of Patmos. And Patmos, there is a little cave that actually you can see. Um, he was here on the island of Patmos. And then there was a little cave, I think I still have that picture there, don't I? Where it was called the church of, or the cave of the apocalypse. And so that's where he received the vision of Revelation. And he wrote these letters to the churches and then a messenger went and went on that Romans road that you saw and delivered that message to the church. So right now we're in Sardis and you can put that map back up. We're in Sardis, we're over here. We have Philadelphia and Laodicea to go, but Sardis is, you can see, east of Smyrna and south of Thyatira, and the Sardis believers, this is just a um, synopsis, because the Sardis got a strong warning from Jesus. It was pretty strong, and we'll see that as we get into it, but the Sardis believers compromised the distinctiveness of Christ. They watered down the truth. And they chose the inclusive response 
to the culture around them. So I nicknamed them the Get Along Church of Sardis. Right? Moms, we know we want our kids to get along, but sometimes in our culture, we are not supposed to get along. We are not called to be friendly with the culture, right? We're not called to get along with the things that are happening. So first we'll get into a little history so we can understand the city of Sardis. Sardis was wealthy. It was a wealthy city, and it was in the ancient Persian kingdom of Lydia. The city was about 30 miles south of Thyatira, you saw that on the map, and about 50 miles east of Smyrna. The city was located on the banks of the Pectolis River. Now, it really wasn't a huge grand river. It was significant for other reasons, which we'll talk about. But it was a pretty river, and it was right on the banks of that. It became a Greek and Roman city during the time of the letter, and it had a huge Roman gymnasium. They actually have a lot of artifacts there that you can see. So there was a big Roman gymnasium, there was a bath, there was a swimming pool, and there would be a lot of competitions and a lot of contests and celebrations and a lot of nudity because they, they, they celebrated that way. So, I mean, you could see the statues, right? So um, there was also the Temple of Artemis, and that's Artemis. There's a Temple of Artemis. Artemis keeps coming up. Do you see that? Artemis was in um, Ephesus. Artemis is the same thing as Diana. It's the same thing as Ishtar. It's the same thing as Inanna. You'll see her throughout history. And it's very specific that we remember and see and understand who she is. Not because we want to be like, oh, we're scared of her. No, but because we see the enemy reinvent himself and present himself today. So Artemis was there, but Artemis influence is still here. So there was also the emperor worship, um, imperialism, and all of this was a daily part of life. But Artemis was significant in Sardis, okay? And so Artemis in the temple had both male and female priests and priestesses. And this is really interesting. The male priests would dress as women and be castrated as showing their devotion to the Lord. So do you see how this is kind of like reinventing itself for 2023? So Artemis goes back really far, but then it is also here in our future. We're seeing the pride, the gender identity, and it's directly related to the same demonic influence in our world. And so when we stand against that, we have to be careful not to stand against the person. We have to stand against the demonic influence because that's what it is. We have to love the person and stand in the truth, right? But that was really interesting because Sardis was very much influenced by um, their worship of Artemis. So we'll go to the wealth. This is a really interesting story. Had anybody heard of the Midas touch? We've all heard of the Midas touch, right? The king that anything he touched turned to gold. Well, Midas didn't live in Sardis. He lived in a city up the river 
from Sardis. And the legend goes that he had um, gotten this blessing from the gods that anything he touched would turn to gold. And so he rejoiced in his new power. And this is a part of a book that, uh, that I just wrote down here. It says, Midas rejoiced in his new power, which he hastened to put to test. He touched an oak twig and a stone and both turned to gold. Overjoyed as soon as he got home, he touched every rose in the rose garden and all became gold. He ordered the servants to set a feast on the table, and upon discovering how even the food and drink turned into gold in his hands, now he began to regret his wish, and he cursed it. Then Midas's daughter came in. Upset about the roses that had lost their fragrance, fragrance and became hard, and when he reached out to comfort her, he found that when he touched his daughter, she turned to gold. And so Midas hated the gift that he had coveted, and he prayed to the gods, begging to be delivered from starvation. And the gods heard his prayer and consented, telling Midas to wash in the river Pactolus. He went and he put in the river everything that he wanted to be reversed, and it was reversed. But all of that gold, right, legend says, all of the gold floated down the river to Sardis. So the city of Sardis gathered its wealth from the gold mined in the Pactolus River. And King Croetius, I think his name was, is said to be the richest person on earth when he was alive because of that gold in the river. And um, it was actually the first city that um, had gold coins. So they actually invented the currency of coins in Sardis. So it was a very strong city. Because of their wealth, they were able to have a very big security. And it was tradition, like tradition says that it was impenetrable. And you can see, that's the river. See, it's not that big of a deal, but if there was a lot of gold in there, it would be a big deal, right? (laughs) So there's another picture of the foundation on one side of the Acropolis. That's the only thing that's left. But you can see how they used the mountains and they built a really strong foundation around the Acropolis. So most nations, most armies could not get in. They could not penetrate the walls of the Acropolis. So we'll see that that didn't last because of some things that happened there. But um, let's get to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, and we're going to go through the the one through six, it says, the one, write down my words and send them to the messenger of the church in Sardis. These are the words of the one who has the seven spirits of God, the perfect spirit, and the one who holds the seven stars. Now, Pastor Sue, you you were so hearing the Holy Spirit this morning when you were talking about completeness. Because that's, this is what Jesus is, to, is presenting himself as. Remember, in every church, he presents himself as something else, something different in that chapter one. Well, he's now pointing out, I'm the complete one. I'm the perfect one. Jesus is saying, I am perfect. I am complete. The seven spirits, write this down if you want to read it, is found in Isaiah 11, 2 through 3. But the important thing here is that Jesus is saying, I'm complete. I'm complete. I'm the way. I'm perfect. I'm the truth. I'm the life. It's me, Jesus, wholeness, completeness, nothing added, nothing taken away. 
I am perfect doctrine. I am perfect theology. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am. The number seven means completeness. It means wholeness. And that's why Jesus is saying, I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God. But this church had lost this understanding. And Jesus was presenting himself this way to remind him. And he says, I know you. I know what you do. I know you have a name. You have a reputation of life, right? Go, let's go back to the scripture verse. It says, I know the things you do. You claimed a reputation of life, but you are actually dead. He said, you are known for being alive, but you're actually dead. The church in Sardis was dead. But here's the interesting thing. We can go back and think about the churches that we talked about, and they were persecuted, right? They were, on, they were held on the line. They were being persecuted. Guess what? Sardis wasn't. Sardis had it good. Nobody was persecuting them. Nobody was at their neck, right? Nobody was challenging them. Why? There was nothing to challenge. They were dead. <laughs> they had an easy, wealthy life. And there was a reason for it. They were the get-along church of Sardis. They were the tolerant church. They were the inclusive church, probably affirming, right? The affirming churches that you see today. And this is the crazy part. There's actually archaeological, is that how you say it? Archaeological evidence to prove this. So in this picture, you'll see a little altar with a, with a Roman eagle. That's the Jewish synagogue. They found a Jewish synagogue with Roman animals and Roman eagles on the altar. So you can actually prove that there was so much compromise and get along, right, going in through the, through the synagogue and the, and the pagans and the Christians. It was like, oh, it's fine. You can believe what you believe. We'll believe what we believe. And we'll all just get along. There was also on this um, Jewish synagogue found the, all the names of the Jews because the Jews, the Jewish religion was a legal religion at this time. The Christianity really wasn't. So there, we're not going to see anything because they met in churches. They didn't have buildings yet. I mean, they met in homes. I'm sorry. They didn't have churches yet. But on the synagogue were all the names of the people involved. They were written in Greek. And if you know anything about the Jewish people in the Bible, think about Daniel. When they were taken and exiled to Babylonian, given Babylonian names, that was offensive. They saw their name as part of their identity, as a child of God, right? They kept their Jewish names, even if it was in secret, because that meant a lot. Well, these had their names written in Greek. This is how we know they were get-along churches, they were get-along synagogues. They were morphing into a culture. It was easier for them to keep the peace and include culture into their beliefs and lives than it was to stand and believe in Jesus. Oh, let's just be tolerant and inclusive, open and affirming. And while we're at it, let's all agree to work on a common problem like climate change. Sound familiar? 
this is where we're, this is where we're at right now. The problem is, is this is not who Jesus is. It's not now, and it wasn't then. In Luke 12, Jesus says, do you think I've come with a nice little message of peace? Jesus said that. He said, no way. Believe me, my message will divide. It will divide a household of five, three against two, or two against three. We have to expect our message to be offensive because his message was offensive. Jesus clearly was not concerned with our temporary peace or comfort. He came to set the record straight. He came to destroy the work of the enemy. And he will confront the churches who are seeking to get along. And he confronts them with truth. He says these churches are dangerous because they carry his name without his power. And we have to be careful that we don't carry his name without the power of God. Because we're misrepresenting, right? We're misrepresenting the name. We're killing the message. In 2 Timothy 3.5, it says, Holding on to a form of outward godliness, religion, although they have denied its power. And this is in the Amplified Bible. It says, For their conduct nullifies their claim of faith. Does our conduct nullify our claim of faith? Not that we have to be perfect. None of us will ever be perfect. But our conduct should reflect the character and the nature of Jesus. Paul told Timothy that this was going to happen, and it's still happening. You know, we see it. All you have to do is drive down the street. We see the rainbow churches, right? (laughs) We see the open and affirming churches. How many of you guys know who Charles Finney is? Raise your hand. So I'm going to give you just a quick background. Charles Finney was born, he was living in the 1800s. And just about 30 minutes southwest of here is a city called Oberlin. And Oberlin is where Charles Finney ended up leading a great revival. He had a tent and he had thousands of people come in and be saved. Their lives were transformed. Oberlin College was the first college to admit women. The Underground Railroad was huge there. It was a revival city, revival town. Charles Finney held such conviction and anointing. It says he would walk into a factory, and without saying a word, people would fall on their knees and begin to weep in repentance without him even saying anything because he carried such an anointing. And I remember when we were youth pastors, I gathered the teenagers and I made them go to Oberlin with me because I wanted to teach them about Charles Finney. And we went into the church. It's called First Church, I think. It's right on the corner there and you can go see it today. But you will be shocked. You will be shocked. Because plastered on the wall is the gender-affirming, climate change warriors, social justice You know, all of it that have nothing to do with the message of Jesus and the power of the Lord. See, they're claiming his name, but they're denying 
his power to save, heal, and deliver. And here at this church, we love you, but just like we had to go, we have, you have to go to the cross. We have to repent. We have to turn from our sin. And homosexuality is a sin. Just like sex before marriage is a sin. <laughs> right? We have to go to the cross and repent. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, see those two words are exclusive they're not inclusive. No one gets to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus says. But we want to affirm many other ways. You know, the Catholic Church right now, they have joined with the Jewish religion and the Muslim religion in Abu Dhabi and created this Abrahamic family house. I showed you pictures of it before. Where it's okay if you don't, if you, it's okay if you're still waiting on the Messiah. It's okay that you don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. We're just going to put some buildings here and we're going to show that we can all get along. And Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Jesus is exclusive. The Bible isn't open to our personal preference or revelation. What it says, is true. If we deviate this, we kill the message. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That's what the city of Sardis did. He said, you are dead. You killed the message. We can't kill the message of the gospel. We have to speak truth and stand and live in truth. Verse 2 <laughs> says, wake up from your death sleep. And strengthen what remains of the life you have been given that is in danger of death. I have judged your deeds as far from complete. There's that word again. In the sight of my God. He said, you are missing the whole message. He said, you have to eat all of me. <laughs> right? Didn't he? And they were offended. It's like you can't pick and choose what's easy and comfortable for you. And we have to remember this. We have to take the whole word and apply it to our whole life. Verse 3, it says, Therefore, remember what you have received and heard. It is time to keep these instructions and turn back from your ways. And if you do not wake up from this sleep, Jesus is warning them. He said, if you don't wake up, I'm warning you, I will come in judgment says, I will creep up on you like a thief, and you will have no way of knowing when I will come. Now, automatically, without knowing the history of Sardis, we go, oh my gosh, the rapture, right? And I'm not saying the rapture is not going to happen. But here, he was referencing something that did happen in their history two times. Remember that foundation that I showed you on the hill where there were holes in it, right? And Jesus is saying, Fix your foundation. You have holes in your foundation. And in this actual wall, two times, only two countries were able, two armies were able to penetrate. It was, I think, the Persian army, and then later on, the Greek, I think, the Greek army. And what happened, he said, 
Remember what happened before with your foundation? It's going to happen again. I'm going to come and I'm going to sneak in in your cracks. And you're going to be judged for what you left weak and open. I'll tell you the story of that, what happened. So there was a guy that was standing, sitting on top while the, the other enemy armies were sieging, laying siege to the city. And the guy le- dropped his helmet. And so he went down through a special secret passageway, and he went through one of these holes, and he got his helmet, and he went back up. Well, the enemy was watching this happen, and they saw the crack in the foundation. And in the morning, they woke up, and the enemy army had been completely infiltrated the city, and they were captive because of the crack. And I believe he's speaking here to us about our doctrine, our belief, our foundation. What do we believe? Do you know? You know, every website on the church has a about what we believe, right? Do you know? We need to challenge ourselves. Do we know what we believe? You know, we used to have this class called Foundations of Faith. (laughs) And there were these old videos by Dr. Lester Summerall. And they were boring. I'll be really honest with you. (laughs) They were pretty boring. We used to play them in a room. And, you know, he would talk about our doctrine and what we believed. and, And pretty soon we'd have 10 people. And pretty soon we'd have five people. And pretty soon we'd have one person, and nobody was showing up anymore. Like, nobody wants to watch these videos. So let's make new videos. So we got some new leaders, and we made it really cool, and called it CNC Grow. And we had had people come in and watch the videos, and 10 people were coming, and then five people were coming, and then one person was coming, and we're like, well, this isn't working either. So then we would say, well, let's just put it on YouTube and, and send the videos home with them. And that wasn't working either because nobody was watching them. And so finally we said, you know what, let's just give our doctrine in our life groups, right? Or in our Sunday mornings so that we can teach what we believe. But whose responsibility is it? Our responsibility, right? To know what we believe. A doctrine is a principle or a position or a body of principles in a branch of knowledge or system of belief. We have to know what we believe about this Bible. We have to have a solid foundation. They had holes in their foundation. We can't afford to have holes in our foundation. Matthew 7, 24, it says, those people who are listening to me, those people who hear what I say and live according to my teachings, you are like a wise man who built his house on a rock, a firm foundation. That firm foundation, that solid doctrine, that truth, so that when the enemy gets louder and louder and louder out there, you can't get in. You can't get into my foundation. It's solid. There's no holes I know what I believe. I know what this word says. You will not convince me to move right or left. And we know the rest of the story. The ones that built their doctrine or built their foundation on sand, 
right? Their house, the storms came, and they're coming, they're here. Their house fell. And we see churches, whole denominations falling to our right and falling to our left because they were not built on the foundation of truth. Somewhere along the way, they put holes in their foundation. Now we have Charles Finney's church, right? In verse 3, it says, go back to what you first learned. The first heard and do it. Hold fast. Strengthen what remains. Don't let culture water down the truth. Don't sacrifice truth for inclusivity. Don't shy away from truth to avoid persecution. Man, if we're not being persecuted, we might need to ask us ourselves why. Right? Why, why are we not being persecuted? Maybe we're, maybe we're trying to get along too much. Jesus warns of judgment, and the people of Sardis knew exactly what he was referring to. He was talking about those cracks. In verse 4, but there are few in Sardis who don't have the stain of evil works on their clothes. Aren't you glad there's always a remnant? (laughs) Say, I'm a part of the remnant. Come on, declare that. There's always a remnant, those who have not brushed up against the culture to be defiled. Jesus says, they will walk alongside me in white spotless garments because they have been proven worthy. We can be proven worthy by standing for the truth, telling ourselves the truth, teaching our children the truth, sharing the truth with others. Truth will sometimes get you in trouble, but being okay with that, right? In verse 5, the one who conquers through faithfulness, even unto death, sometimes, right, the price, the consequence for truth will be persecution. It will be death. But are you, do you want some, do you want a lie? Right? We don't want the lie. It doesn't matter. We will be clothed in white garments, and I will certainly not erase that person's name from the book of life. I will acknowledge this person's name before my father and before his heavenly messengers. You know, there was actually a book of life in Sardis. Isn't that interesting? There was a book of life and a book of the dead. <laughs> Just like a lot of other a lot of other places. Think about it. We have birth certificates. We have death certificates. It was their registry of who was alive, who was able to take part in the cultures, right? The benefits of being part of the city. And so this is what Jesus was referring to. If you were a criminal, a lot of times your name would be blotted out of the book of life. That means you were no longer able to benefit right, from the culture, from the city, from the bathhouse, from the gymnasium, you know, from the, from, the, um, from the benefits of community. Thank you. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, wake up, take part in my kingdom. Think about that. He said, wake up. Take part in my kingdom, what I have for you. I have healing. I have deliverance. I have salvation for you to give away, right? He said, take part in this. I want, an, I want to announce your citizenship in my father's kingdom. 
So that's what he's saying. I want to acknowledge you before my father so that you can be pronounced on earth as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, carrying his benefits. And finally, verse 6 says, let the person who is able to hear, listen to, and follow what the Spirit proclaims to the churches. Again, we hear this verse after every church. And what it's doing is it's reminding us that this message is for Sardis. And this message was for a church age, probably around the Reformation. But it's all also for us today. And every day I wake up and I go, oh my gosh, you're teaching me this. When I drive down Oberlin 58 to show a house and I see that on Finney's church and I'm like, oh my gosh, you're showing me in real time what you were saying to Sardis. You're saying to us, you're saying, wake up, hold fast to the truth and target. Oh my gosh, it's time to stand up. You don't need all that junk anyways. <laughs> I went to work out a little bit this morning. I didn't have any tennis shoes. <laughs> For those of you who know, <laughs> I burnt my tennis shoes this past week. It was funny. So I had a pair of Adidas and I had a pair of Nikes and Adrian hasn't liked Nike for a long time. But, you know, I just had to draw a line and it really wasn't for anybody else. It was for me. Holy Spirit told me, you know, like, what are you consuming? And so I said, I'm going to burn my tennis shoes. And I knew I was going to get some backlash because I put it on social media. What do you not get? You know, you always get something on social media, but that's okay. That's okay. That means I was that that means I'm not dead. Right? Right? If we're getting persecution, that means we're not dead. We're awake. We're standing for truth. We're alive. <laughs> so let's repeat it one more time. The Sardis believers compromised their distinctiveness of Christ. They watered down the truth and chose the inclusive response to culture around them. They were the get-along culture of our church of Sardis. And so I just wanted to um, close with one scripture verse, and I don't have it there because the Holy Spirit gave it to me this morning. It's in Acts 4.12. And I want to just challenge all of us today to hold fast to the word of God in our life. And we don't have to do it with an attitude. We can do it in love. But salvation is found in no one else. Amen? Amen. Acts 4.12, and this is in the voice version, there is no one else who can rescue us. And there is no other name under heaven given to any human by whom we may be rescued. Jesus is the only name that can save us. Jesus is the only one that can get us out of our mess, right? Because we all have our own personal mess, and he's the only one that can save us, heal us, and deliver us. And I know you guys agree with me, so why don't you stand up on your feet? <laughs> and let's just bless him today.
Father, we thank you that your word is true, that it gives us a solid foundation to build our life upon. And I thank you, Father, that you are raising up men and women of God that would build the foundation in their lives and their families, that we would become a force walking and living in your authority as you announce us as citizens of heaven. You declare, God, that our name is written in the book of life, that we carry the benefits of the kingdom of God. And I just thank you, Father, for what you're doing in the lives here as we stand for truth. Thank you for the warning, Jesus. (laughs) Thank you for the wake-up call, Jesus. Jesus name. Amen. If you want to rededicate your life today, or if you want to um, ask Jesus to come into your heart today for the very first time, we're not going to assume that everyone in here is saved. So I'm going to ask the altar ministers, workers to come up and we want to pray with you. If you need healing in your body, if you need deliverance, if you need salvation, come up here before you go out there. Live right, love everybody and pray hard.